0: Hi everyone, so great to be with you, back here again at Northridge. Love, love, love being here. Great to be here on the 4th of July weekend, especially, you know, I've lived in the United States for 16 years, and every single year someone asks me, so do you have the 4th of July in Australia? Now I always say, no, we go straight from the 3rd to the 5th of July, we just... Completely. No, then I say, like, so what you're asking me is, do we have a national holiday to celebrate America's independence? <laughs> so we, we actually have, like, our equivalent is Australia Day, which is uh, in July the 26th. We would call it Independence Day, but Australia's not independent of the British monarchy, so we call it uh, Codependence Day, I guess. <laughs> but uh, mark your calendars... January 26 is where uh, fireworks go off in Australia and all of that. It's a, it's a big deal. Now, it is so good to be with you in summer here uh, in beautiful Detroit. Uh, you know that uh, I was here for three weeks in the winter, and you guys had a bit of a rough winter, did you not? Yeah, uh, it, it was a little rough. I know that um, it was, uh, according to the, the temperatures, it was the eighth coldest winter in, in recorded history, uh, not since 1977 did you have a winter like that. And then in terms of snowfall, you had 95 inches, and it broke the, the long-standing record from 1880. You guys broke the record this past winter, how about that? Yeah, you're like, why are we clapping for this? Really? You know, and, and, and some of you are thinking, why are you bringing this up, man? Why, why are you going to do this? You know, like we don't speak of this during summer, okay? Well, I was thinking about the uniqueness of summer, and uh, I lived in the Midwest for eight years in Chicago, so I endured eight Chicago winters, and because I'm from Australia, where it's 95 percent desert, it was particularly interesting to me to see how people in the Midwest handle the winter. You know, you have somewhere around February or March, people are complaining and looking at each other saying, why do we live here? Remind me again, you know. And then there's always one person in the group that says, because we're not weak, now suck it up, okay. (laughs) But then sometime in May or or early May or late in May, all of a sudden the sun comes out, the, the ice mountains on the edge of parking lots all melt and, and everyone goes outside. So here in Detroit, all four million people, they start stepping outside and just skipping around the place. And they're so happy. You're high-fiving complete strangers. Everyone's in a good mood. You're going on picnics and having grill outs and going to, to uh, playgrounds and doing hikes in the park and all of that kind of stuff because you're just so happy to be outside. Now what is interesting is that the opportunity to develop relationships with people during these, these, uh, you know, these months of the year are so disproportionately more opportunity to be, to be making and, and investing in other people you, know, you think you've probably talked more to your neighbours in the last couple of weeks than you did in the previous six months combined I mean, in the winter, what are you doing? You're grabbing grabbing your trash cans and you're dragging them out to the front and then you're running for your life to get back inside. I mean, that is kind of the the basic interactions in the neighbourhoods. But in the summer, I mean, you're talking to people, you're talking about sports, you're talking about things that you love or your favourite TV shows or whatever it is. The opportunity for relationships is disproportionate during this particular season. So what I want to talk about today is the opportunity we have outside. I'm going to look at a text that is outside, looking at uh, a central character who is doing something that is outside, so that we may be able to consider how we can go outside and take full advantage of the opportunities we have. Now, if you brought a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke 8. This is uh, the story of a text, a text of a a story of, of a man who was a farmer, or you might say farmer. And uh, everyone knew about farming in the first century in, in this particular area of the country uh, Agriculture was the central economic engine of the day People knew what it was to be sowing seeds, they knew what it was to be farming The, the whole harvesting and growing of crops was what everyone understood uh, It would be a little bit like in Detroit if, if uh, you know, Jesus was telling a story, maybe he was saying, you know, imagine with me a pro football team that uh, has never yet been in a Super Bowl. And every year, everyone is praying, this is going to be our year. And secretly, everyone fears, it's probably not going to be our year. Everyone in the culture would understand what they're talking about. I don't know if you can imagine that or not, but But everyone would have a widespread understanding. You wouldn't have to explain the metaphor because everyone would understand the metaphor. And inside the metaphor, there was some sort of explanation about the kingdom of God. Luke 8 verse 4. Here we go. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Then when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now this is a relatively well-known passage of Scripture Jesus is giving a metaphor about farming And he has four different kinds of terrain Four different soil conditions He talks about the path, which is hard soil He talks about the rocky soil, which is shallow He talks about soil with, with weeds and with thorns And then he talks about seed that actually is is fertile and and rich and and develops a great amount of crop, a great great fruit from that. Now he ends this kind of discourse with a a strange phrase. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He's giving this idea that some of you are going to really hear this and comprehend and then some of you are going to have no idea what I'm talking about. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone And you're telling a story and you realize that they've kind of zoned out and they're not listening. You know, like when you're talking with someone and they get a text message mid-sentence, and you know that they are confronted with the choice now. They're either going to step out of the conversation and they're going to look at their phone and they're going to respond to that, or they're going to ignore the text message and they're going to keep eye contact, right? And what's it like when you're telling a story and then they like, look away and they start and you feel like just going, and blah, 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 you know? Have you ever had that experience before? How many of you have been the one checking your text messaging? Like, shame on you people, really. Now, I, I, was, uh, I, I heard of, uh, of a lady recently who had this idea that when you go to a restaurant, here's the, the ground rules that you should give. Everyone needs to pile their cell phones in the middle of the table, And the first person to reach for them pays for dinner. How does that sound? Yeah, maybe you guys could try that today. This could get expensive, yeah. So in in this passage, the word hear or hearing appears seven times. Just a short story. It seems like that maybe this parable was less about listening and more about really hearing what is going on. Verse nine, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. Not everyone is going to get the same sort of comprehension from this. So maybe we should lean in. Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Now, most of the time, Jesus doesn't explain his parables. Most of the time, he gives a story and then he drops the mic and then he just walks off stage, right? But on this particular case here, he actually explains it. He gives a play by play. He actually breaks it down. This is a very unusual and very unique opportunity for us to see when Jesus uses a metaphor and this is how he explains his metaphor. And the first thing he says is that the seed is the word of God. Now what do we know about seeds? Seeds begin small and then given the right conditions, soil conditions, the water and sunshine and photosynthesis, then ultimately uh, the seeds can become something that is large. They can become an enormous tree over the course of time. The seed is the word. Now... The Word, Word of God. Word in the original Greek was the word logos. And the same time that that was used is in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the logos, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a very big verse that builds uh, Orthodox Christian Trinitarian theology on, on, on this particular verse here. But what is also interesting is that the seed is the word of God in Jesus' words. Same word, same idea, that the word was with God and the word was God. This is clearly Jesus. So what does it mean to sow seeds? For us to be people who sow seeds, it means that we are actually sowing Jesus into people's lives. It means that we are speaking about. It means that we are serving or telling, showing people who Jesus is. And then Jesus explains that the the other part here in the explanation of this parable is that the, the soil represents the heart. The soil conditions are the heart of someone. Verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear and then when the when the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts, so that they will not believe and be saved. Now, when I think about this, I think about a friend of mine named Scott. When I was uh, in my early twenties, I got a job working for a steel company, and uh, every day we would we would travel about an hour to work and an hour back. And gas prices in Australia are right at about six dollars a gallon, so it's really expensive. So we would carpool every opportunity we got, and me and Scott uh, would carpool together, and uh, we didn't have cell phones, I mean, it was just uninterrupted conversation, an hour there and an hour back, five days a week, we'd spend 10 hours talking a week. Now, he was not a Christian, and uh, and he knew that I was, and I was really into church, he was really into smoking pot, and so uh, there were some differences in the way that we lived our lives, right? it always makes for some very interesting conversation but he would talk about you know sports and and we would talk about tv shows and film and the weather or whatever it was but on this one particular day he was asking what i did on the weekend and i said that i was at church and we had a really great time there and and he stopped me and he's like what's up with the, the church thing like wh- why do you why do you go to that why would you want to go to something that is you know, kind of so antiquated. And I talked about how Jesus had ambushed my life. And I talked about how I just absolutely loved the church. That, that the church really was the, the hope of the world. That this redemptive strategy that God has released into the world, I believe, is about healing the world and making it better. And he would listen to all of this. Over the course of that week, we talked about faith every time we got together. He would want to ask about who Jesus was. He was asking about the Bible. It was all kinds of stuff. At the end of the week, I was getting out of his car and I looked back at him and I said, I think God is really pursuing you right now. And he goes, me too. And I said, I think you're going to become a Christian. He said, me too. (laughs) I said, do you want to come to church with me? He said, yeah, I'd like to. So that weekend, he came to church. We had a great experience. And then the next day, we're driving, or, yeah, on the, on the Monday, we're driving to, to work again. And I'm like, well, what'd you think? He said, it was really fantastic. I said, were you gonna come back again? He said, no. <laughs> I said, why not? He said, you know, I was talking to my parents. I was talking to my girlfriend. And they looked at me and they said, Scott, we are not church people. That's not who we are. And he he said, they made me feel as though I was about to run off and join some sort of crazy cult. And he said, and I realized that they're right. Like, I really appreciate you talking to me about it and all of that. But this is just not for me. Now, Jesus uses a really interesting metaphor. He says that the seed falls on the path and then the birds come and steal it. And he gives it even more of an interesting explanation. He says, the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts. Now, I know it's not popular to talk about the devil a lot. And, 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 you know, sometimes it can be a little weird feeling like, you know, some sort of man dressed in red with a pitchfork and horns or something. But what Jesus is clearly saying here is that there is a spiritual battle that is raging on for people. And when you're trying to sow seeds in people's lives, there is a real enemy that is coming against the work that we are trying to do. There actually is one who is coming and stealing seed. You know, when I read this and I read about the path, the the hard soil, I think about this guy who lives near me. And, and he just gets really uncomfortable with any talk of faith or church or anything, which is really inconvenient when your job is you're a pastor, right? So like chatting about sports or whatever, and then if I say anything about church, his countenance changes, he like, you know, starts to sweat, you know, he looks for a way to get out of the conversation. Do you have any friends that are kind of like that? The, the, the Bible says that the, the, their hearts are hard to the seed. Their hearts are not receptive uh, to the seed. This is the, how Jesus is kind of breaking it down. Now, verse 13, Jesus talks about another kind of soil. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in times of testing, they fall away. Now, much of the soil in central Palestine was was full of rocks. In fact if you go there today, you'll see entire fields that are just barren. Now, it doesn't always it's not always obvious that there's rocks everywhere. But as you investigate it a little more or if you ask like why are they not developing these particular areas, they'll tell you that it's full of rocks. And there might be an inch or two inches of soil that are above the rocks. But it is very, very hard to develop this land, and unless someone comes and they excavate the rocks out or they crush them or whatever, the the vegetation can only develop very, very shallow roots. Now, several years ago, I met a guy named Brian in prison, and uh, I wasn't incarcerated myself, I was just (laughs) visiting a guy. So uh, his parents uh, went to our church and he had just been arrested for drug dealing, actually. And, uh, and they said, would you go and see our son? And I, I said, fine. And I had not been to very many jails or prisons at that point. And so I was a youth pastor and I, I went on in and had to go through the security procedures and all of that. And then before I knew it, I was like in this, this room, this close off room all by myself, waiting for this guy to shop. We'd never met before. So this guy, dressed all in orange, comes in with uh, one of the prison guards and they sit him down. And uh, then all of a sudden he leaves and it's just me and him. Now, just as a frame of reference, he looked a lot and acted a lot like Eminem. Right? And I don't mean recent Eminem who's trying to be a good dad. I mean Eminem from 10 years ago who's really angry at his mother and is cleaning out his closet. That Eminem. He's that Eminem, right? And we're talking and he's like, who are you? I'm like, my name's Darren. I'm a youth pastor. He rolls his eyes. And I'm even thinking to myself how lame it sounds, right? But over the course of the next, you know, several minutes, to my surprise, I actually made him laugh a couple of times. And at the end of our conversation, we said goodbye and said, you know, hope to see you again at some point. So several weeks later, imagine my surprise, my cell phone rings and it's, hey man, it's Brian. I'm like, Brian? He's like, you know, the guy from jail. I'm like, Brian, hey. He goes, I'm out. I'm like, legitimately you got out? Or <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm out, you want to get together? And I said, I said sure, you know. So uh, we, we went to Starbucks and I'm just sitting there uh, with Eminem and uh, we order our drinks and all of that kind of stuff. Then he says to me, hey, um, so, you know, since I got out, I, I, I haven't found a place to stay yet. I don't have a place to live. Now, I had just moved out of a home I was living with 15 people. I was living in the basement with 15 people. i just moved out and I started renting a two-bedroom apartment and it was absolute bliss. It was heaven. It was quiet. You imagine going from 15 people to living on your own. I mean, it was spectacular. So he says to me, I don't have a place to live. And I hear this whisper, you need to invite him to live with you. I'm thinking, is that the devil? What was that What was that voice? So I look at him in the most compelling way I could come up with. I'm like, You don't want to, uh, you wouldn't be interested in, I'm sure you don't want to uh, li- li- live at my place, do you? He's like, I'd love to. I'm like, No. <laughs> it's like two hours later. He's moving all this stuff into my house, you know? I'm like, that's your bedroom at the end there. He's like, Great, thanks, you know? So we start spending. A bit of time together His lifestyle was very, very different from mine I mean, he was out a lot And uh, I mean, it was, it was a little crazy uh, I had never been around That kind of world a lot I hadn't been around people who kind of dealt drugs And, and, and had the sort of the lifestyle That was, uh, you know, a little precarious at times I had just started dating Brandy Who became my wife And I mean, we were just getting to know each other and the first time she ever came over to my apartment, I was just showing her, hey, this is where I live. And she's like, you know, still not sure about me and the whole thing. She goes and she sits down on the sofa. And I swear, I had never seen this before. She looks at the floor and she goes, what is this? And she bends down and she picks up a gun. <laughs> There's a gun in my house, right? Right? I'm a youth pastor, I'm not Jack Bauer. I don't have guns, right? And she's like, whose is this? I'm like, oh, it's probably someone who lives with me, you know, I said, "Uh, just give me that thing. So I'm holding it, right? And then a thought occurs to me because I've seen way too many episodes of CSI. I wipe my prints off of that thing and I put it back under there, you know? She's looking at me like I'm an Australian terrorist or something. I'm like, I swear I've never seen that before. A couple of nights later, in the middle of the night, I had this knock at the door. I like, wake up, you know, I look over, it's three o'clock in the morning. So I go to the door and I look through the little hole there, right? And I see these two dudes. Now, I don't know what your typical drug dealers look like. I haven't done a lot of transactions over the years, but I'm looking in there and I'm thinking, you know, like, what do you want? But, but I, I know that, that, you know, they don't know anything about me. They just know that Brian lives here and all of that. So in the most compelling and, and, and bolstering, courageous way I could come up with, I said, what do you want? <laughs> They're like, we're looking for Brian. And uh, they said, is he here? And I said, let me check, you know. So like I go back to his room and I look in there, he's not there, right? I come back, I'm like, he's not here, you know. And so we have this little conversation where I was trying to keep up this, uh, this appearance, you know. And then eventually they leave. And as they're leaving, I'm thinking to myself, where is that gun? I might actually, I might actually need that. And I'm thinking, what is happening to my life? I'm a youth pastor, right? Do you know what youth pastors deal with? They deal with kids who lose their sleeping bags at camp. That's what I deal with. And all of a sudden, I've got a gun in my house, I've got drug dealers coming to my door, and I'm living with Eminem. How did this happen to me? A couple of days later, I'm I'm chatting with Brian. Brian. And uh, he stopped sort of going out a lot and he, and he started being home a lot more and we started having conversations. One day he walks in and he says to me, I'm ready. I'm thinking, what, to strangle me? <laughs> he said, I'm ready to do what you've been talking about. I'm ready to pray that Jesus would take control of my life. I said, really? He said, how do I do that? I said, well, come, come over here. So we walked over in my, in my living room and I said, let's, let's like really mark this moment. Let's get on our knees. So we got on our knees and he got down next to me and he said, well, what do I say? And I said, well, why don't I pray and then you just copy the, the prayer? And he goes, okay. So together we closed our eyes and we prayed And he invited Jesus to come and rule his life, to come and lead him, to come fill him. He invited the presence of God and the kingdom of God to invade his life. And there are a few moments in my life that I have been more aware of God's presence than in that living room moment right there. And it was incredible. At church, our church was buzzing. It felt like that we had this modern day soul on the road to Damascus experience that had just happened around us. He's a guy that was a former drug dealer, and he's just turned his life around. He said to me, do you want me to speak to the, to the students one day in the, in the youth ministry? You know, he said, I can tell them about what Jesus has done in my life. And I said, well, let's just hold off on that a little bit. You, know, like you get a little established first, and then uh, maybe in the future you know, you can do that. He's like, okay, okay. So about a week later, this, uh, these people move into the apartment block next to us. And they're kind of young, and and Brian didn't know them, but I was pretty sure there was some drug dealing that was going on over there. Uh, And you know, they played really loud music and all of that, but it wasn't that so much. It was just like the the cars that would come; uh, they would stop for a second, they would exchange something, and then they would drive off together. You know, I'm not the sharpest axe in the shed, but I'm pretty sure that there was some sort of you know, narcotic uh, transactions going on. And I just remember watching Brian watch them. And I just kind of had a sense that he was looking over as if to say, there's my people. And I would just be praying that God would protect him from those guys. It felt a little bit like I was grabbing hold of him and then they were on the other side and they were pulling him towards them. Over the course of the next several weeks, I came home a couple of times and he was over chatting with him and laughing and the whole thing. And then I didn't see him for about a week. And I come home one day and there's a note on the table. And it says, Darren, I'm sorry, but I've gotten in some trouble and I'm going back to jail. And I know you tried to help me. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Thanks anyway, Brian. As I was reading that note, I just felt hope draining from my body. You ever had that experience where you feel like you've just seen the miraculous, and then you realize, after a little while, that it just isn't sustainable. It just doesn't continue. I think I'm filled with doubt and discouragement. And with that, he he left my life. Jesus described this really specifically. He said that people that have shallow soil in their hearts don't have a chance for a root system to really develop. And he gave really specific description of this. He said that in times of testing, they fall away. You seen that before? You seen that happen? Jesus talks about the, the third kind of soil in verse 14. He said, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now, I may have talked to you about this before, but when I first moved to America, I was astounded at the level of wealth and prosperity of this country. If you come from another country and you come and you see the United States, I mean, it is wealth on display. I mean, it is something to behold. When I'd lived here about a year, my brother comes and visits me from Australia. We go to a restaurant together. He orders a Coke. I order a Coke, right? I drink six Cokes. He drinks one. Then at the end, the waiter comes and gives the check. My brother looks at it and goes, excuse me, you've made a mistake. My brother drank six Cokes. I counted them. It was obnoxious. And you've only charged him for one. And I interrupted him and said, "Nah no, mate, in America, you get free refills. He goes, free refills? God bless America. <laughs> I mean, you don't know what you have. The first time I ever went to a movie, I went with a bunch of Americans. They said, go get some popcorn and a drink. That's what we do here. And I said, okay. So I went up and I said, you know, some popcorn, thanks. And they said, what size? And I said, I don't know. Give me the biggest size you've got. They hand me this 22 pound bag of popcorn, right? And then they said, you want a drink? I said, sure, what size? I said, the biggest size you've got. Now listen, Americans. Every other country in the world has small, medium and large. Not in America, no. No, you people, you begin with large. Then you have extra large. Then you have extra, extra large. Then you have the super size mega max Thirst Crusher. I didn't know whether to drink it or to bathe in it. And the, the, the top of it looked like a swimming pool and the bottom of it was nice and small so you can get it in your cup holder. God bless America! I mean, you don't know what, you wanna hold that thing for a movie, right? You might break something. So as I'm walking away with this thing, right? They say to me, excuse me, sir. there's one other thing with that size. Because you got the largest size, you're entitled to free Refills, yeah. I'm like, how long's the movie? A month? (laughs) Jesus uses three words that choke our potential worries, riches, and pleasures. Now, what country on earth would you suspect has the greatest concentration of worries? riches and pleasures. Where do you think that would be? It's the US. Yeah. And Jesus says that these things choke us. What do thorns do? What do weeds do? They steal the nutrients of the plants. They they steal water and they steal sunlight. They steal all of the resources intended for the plant. And then what Jesus says is the outcome, they do not mature. There is an immaturity to the plant. Now what is interesting to me is that the gospel is bearing unprecedented fruit all around the world. Do you know that the times that we are living in right now, the gospel has never bore more fruit than this time in history? The underground church in China is seeing staggering growth. Millions of people are coming to Christ. In Central America, churches are uniting across cities for all night prayer and worship nights. In Africa, entire countries are being declared Christian nations. In the last 100 years alone, 350 million people have been swept into the kingdom of God in Africa. 350 million. That is more than the entire population Of the United States. We are living in unprecedented days. Yet in the United States, according to the latest census, the fastest growing religious category is non-religious. And Christian leaders are debating and they are discussing why is the gospel not bearing the same kind of fruit here as it is in other places? Maybe the answer to this is actually in this parable. Maybe it's the third soil. Maybe much of the Western church is planted in the third soil. It's not that the soil is hard. It's not that it's full of rocks. It's full of thorns, worries, riches, and pleasures that seduce and distract and choke the effectiveness of the gospel. Maybe many Christians in the Western world have a divided heart. And instead of pouring their gifts and their talents and their resources into the kingdom of God, they are distracted by the lure of stuff or the way that they look or what they drive or or, or where they live. If worries, riches, and pleasures equate to thorns, we are surrounded by thorns. It would be fair to say that the United States spiritually is a very dangerous place to live. Jesus closes this whole thing with verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Jesus uses again this agriculture metaphor. He says that the seed is, is, is received and retained and by perseverance over the course of time fruit starts to flourish. It takes time. A seed doesn't instantly become a tree. It takes time. And it's by perseverance that this happens. Now here's what gives me great hope about this story. What gives me great hope is that every one of these three kinds of soil types have the potential to be good soil. Hard soil can be tilled and it can be stirred and it can be turned up. Rocky soil, rocks can be removed or they can be crushed so that the soil can be nourished again. Or, or, or seeds with, with thorns and weeds, the, the thorns can be pulled out, the, 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 the weeds can be ripped out. All three of these these soil types can become good soil. The reason that this is good news for us is that this is what the Lord of the harvest does. He tills soil, He stirs it. When I think about this, I think about when I was a youth pastor many years ago, there was a kid named Adam in my youth group, and his dad was not a Christian, and he, his dad had great animosity to the church. And every week we'd meet for a Bible study. And I'd ask at the end if they had prayer requests And every week he was the first to raise his hand And it was simply this Pray my dad becomes a Christian Every week we'd write up on the dry erase board Adam's dad to become a Christian Every week I I must have written that a hundred times So And then there comes a point where it's like Such an extended period of time You're just sort of feeling like you're writing it up by habit You know Well A couple of years after we were doing all of that, we needed some adult chaperones to help lead a serving trip that we had coming up, and we couldn't find any. And Adam said, "Uh, what about my dad? And I'm thinking, what about your dad? And he said, I think my dad might be interested in coming. You know, he does some construction and stuff. And we're thinking, oh, no. So sure enough, he asked his dad. His dad says he'll come. We were a little surprised about that because he really hated the church. So he comes along and he watches these middle school students serve the under-resourced. He watches these these kids spend 12 or 15 hours a day serving people who are in such great need. And you know what it did? It tilled the soil of his heart. He had no interest in the seed. He had no interest in the gospel. What he, and, and then when he saw all of this, it started to stir his heart. Later on in the week, he's having a chat with one of the other adult leaders, and they're talking about who Jesus is. And he asks them, you want to be a follower of Jesus? And this guy says, yeah, I do. It was one of those remarkable things where you see someone who goes from having no interest at all to someone who becomes a passionate follower of Jesus. It was astonishing. And to this day, this is 12 or 14 years ago, to this day, he is a thriving leader. He is actually a leader in my brand new church. And he is helping establish the culture and grow people up and disciple them in the ways of Jesus. It reminds me that this is what God does. He tills the soil of hearts. It's what he's done all throughout history. Saul on the road to Damascus has this encounter with God, and the soil of his heart changed. The Roman Empire was led only by by pagan people, you know, worshipping pagan gods or the other emperors until Constantine in the fourth century. The soil of his heart changed and Constantine becomes a Christian and leads the entire Roman Empire towards Christianity. It changed the world. This is what God does. Now we're gonna close our service in just a second. But it's beautiful outside and there is a disproportionate opportunity to be sowing seed in the summer to be sowing seed in these months. So what I want to invite you to do, we're going to have a song sung over you and I want you to spend a few moments in prayer. Maybe you would pray for people that are your neighbours. Maybe you would pray for loved ones. Maybe you would pray for people that you've been praying for for a long time and and you're tempted to give up. You're tempted to be discouraged about it all. Now, as you're praying, I wanna encourage you to be imagining the soil of their hearts just being tilled and just being stirred. Like, have that mental picture in your mind of, of, of you know, being reached down and plowing up the hard soil, making it ready to be receptive for the seed. So we're gonna to listen to this song and I'm gonna invite you to pray and then I'll come up and close us in a second. Let's stand together. Maybe someone brought you today and uh, you reluctantly came on a holiday weekend and you kind of sense the soil in your heart changing. Maybe there's a sense of like, my, my heart is kind of really receptive to this. Maybe the reason is because someone else has been praying for you. Someone else has been praying for the soil in, in your heart. Uh, I want to invite you, I want to, encourage you, I want to challenge you, that you can open up your life to Jesus today. It's as simple as coming before him in prayer and inviting him to take control of your life. And so we're going to pray. I don't want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, I want to begin by just coming before you and thanking you in, Thanking you for your word. And I pray, God, for people here who are feeling the challenge of receiving the seed of the word. Receiving Jesus. I pray that Jesus may be sown in a bunch of new lives today. And I pray that there may be receptive soil. In the stillness and the quiet of this moment, God, I pray for people who are opening their hearts to you and just saying, yes, yes, Jesus, come into my life, take control of my life. Thank you for the life and the death and the resurrection on the cross where you are in the business of reconciling people back to God, filling them with your spirit and empowering them to live for you. God, for the rest of us who have been praying for people that we love, we pray that you would take hard soil and you would till it and plow it and soften it. You would turn it all upside down. We pray for shallow soil. We pray that rocks would be crushed or they would be removed and the soil would be stirred. We pray for divided hearts with, with weeds and with thorns. I pray that they would be taken out, God, that they may be focused people on the kingdom of God. We pray for good soil in Northridge Church. In all of the campuses, we pray for an abundance of of soil that is nutritious, soil that is good, soil that is receptive, soil that brings about maturity and brings a great harvest for the kingdom of God. And I pray, God, that over the next several days, weeks even, that, that people will be sowing seeds in these really crucial days of warm weather and an opportunity to go outside. May we do all of this seed sowing for your kingdom and for your glory and we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, on the way in, you received one of these programs and uh, if you find yourself or found yourself praying a prayer to invite Jesus in, I would encourage you just to fill that out. Check this box at the bottom. Today, I received Jesus Christ in my life for the first time. And you can hand that out to someone in the lobby. Or if you're watching online with Church on Demand, then you can click where, uh, on the little area there and someone will follow up with you as well. My encouragement to you, my friends, is to go outside and to sow some seed. And if you've been discouraged because you've found hard hearts or, or rocky hearts or hearts that are divided with thorns, just know this, the Lord of the harvest is in the business of tilling soil. And let's pray that he would do that so that we would see incredible things happen for the kingdom of God. It's been great to be with you this weekend and I will see you next weekend. Thank you.